Welcome to the daily devotional podcast of Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. or thrillers, there's often a scene where the bad guy or the monster or whatever dies, and the end of the story has arrived, when all of a sudden the bad guy pops up one more time, terrifying everyone. He wasn't dead after all, and he usually gets put down for good at that point, and the end of the story finally comes. While maybe a bit of a cliché, not an overly surprising plot twist anymore, we have a similar event happening in today's verses. Satan has been bound and thrown into the abyss for a thousand years, but it's not the end, not just yet. Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 10 says, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. This is the end of evil, and it is the end for good. Satan has one more task to do before the end finally comes. He is released to deceive the earth one more time. Why is that necessary? Why wasn't he just left in the abyss? Well, that's hard to say. But perhaps it's to show the utter sinfulness, the fallenness of mankind. Even after a thousand years of no devil, where the rebellious nations have already been wiped out, after a thousand years of Christ's perfect rule, the new people born in that time will apparently still rise up in rebellion towards God and his people. Even with Satan gone, man is still fallen. So we can't blame Satan for everything that we do. We also have evil within us. We are rebellious by nature as well. Gog and Magog are mentioned as the terms that represent all the nations from the corners of the earth. There's a lot of info out there on the internet on exactly who Gog and Magog are, but don't ever listen to anyone who tells you that they know who Gog and Magog represent. Right now, it's very trendy to call them ISIS or Iran or North Korea. In the past, they represented the Soviets or Hitler's Nazi Germany. In ages before that, it was Middle Eastern caliphates. Basically, it's easy to make Gog and Magog any nation that we don't like who we think is the enemy of God's people. But we don't really have any specific idea as to the nature of who they represent. And any honest biblical scholar would probably say the same. We might have opinions, but they're just that, opinions. The context seemed to suggest that Gog and Magog don't refer to any specific nations, but they rather simply mean all the nations from the four corners of the earth. They represent the fallen world. The term reminds us of Ezekiel 38, where the same names are given to forces that come against Israel but are destroyed divinely by God. The use of Gog and Magog here is likely meant to remind us of this Old Testament story and thus can be interpreted to simply mean the enemies of God's people. We can leave it there without falling victim to any over-interpretation. As with the previous battle of Armageddon, there isn't a real battle or conflict involved here. God just destroys the invaders from heaven quickly and easily. 
Let us repeat what we've been saying throughout this podcast. This is not a fair fight. And the one who dominates the conflict loves you and is on your side in this life and in the life to come. The passage ends with Satan's final doom. His final destination is never in doubt. Note that the beast and the false prophet are still there in the lake of fire in torment in this passage, a statement of the eternal nature of the punishment given to the devil and his chief instruments who wreak such havoc upon this world. This might not be pleasant, but today let's take some time to meditate upon hell, its finality and its reality. What is the most profound thing to come to mind as you think about it today? What does it mean for how you are living your life? And what does it mean for your part in this great mission of God where he desires to keep people out of this place and be reunited with him for all eternity?